Hi, welcome to the Artificial Intelligence, Machine Learning and Data Science Weekly Podcast. My name is Kwan Hong, or you can call me KH. In this show, I'll be talking to AI, ML and data science practitioners around the region. In each episode, I will dive into relevant and interesting AI, ML topics, where you get to know more about topics ranging from AI, ML adoption, best practices, and tips and tricks to be a better AI, ML data science practitioner. Hi, welcome to another episode of AI, ML, and Data Talk Podcast. In today's episode, I'm super excited to have my first female guest, which is Dr. Bawani Selvaratnam, who is the Director, Data Analytics of Valiantlytics as a guest for the show. Hi, Bawani. Welcome to the show. Hi, KH. Good to be here. <laughs> yeah, I think for, for the, <laughs> yeah, I think for the benefit of our, my, my listeners, uh, we are actually ex-colleague in MMURSM. Uh. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Okay, so as an introduction, uh, usually we will talk about the self-introduction. Maybe you can just share with us some background of your childhood, your education, and then uh, your career path uh, that leads you to the, to the current company, which is Valenlytics. All right, okay. So, um, well, I'm, I'm from Pera originally, uh, where I spent my primary schooling years there. And uh, at some point, the family moved to Slango. And... Um, we so in terms of uh, growing up, I think my exposure since we are talking about IT data science today, right? Um, my exposure or influence in terms of computing, well, I can consider it quite late, even in my generation. It was uh, my when my eldest brother was doing his degree was when we had our first computer, which was maybe I was like 14, 15 at that time, and the adoption was pretty slow. But over time, thanks to that exposure. Um, I got influenced and interested, but mainly I was interested in computer science was because of music. <laughs> and I kind of like wanted to do things in music and got into computer science for that reason. So um, I did my bachelor's degree in computer science at the University of Malaya, um, majoring in software engineering. And then I proceeded to do my master's uh, in MUST, which was a university that was established in collaboration with MIT back then. And at that time, uh, my focus shifted. I was doing computer networking. And uh, in the end, when I pursued my final uh, you know, level in terms of doing my PhD, I did it in uh, Munash University um, with a focus on text mining, text analytics, that kind of uh, work. Yeah. So in terms of career path, um, I guess I was a, a traditionalist or maybe at least a uh, led in that path <laughs> as a woman to pursue an academic uh, journey, right? Uh, so I became an academic right after my master's and I remained one for close to, I think, 13 years. And uh, at that point, um, after so many years in academic, uh, exposure in various ways uh, to the industry due to projects that we do as academics with the industry as well, and as well as, you know, people surrounding me who were in the business space or in the industry who felt that uh, people like uh, the academics, basically, right, especially those who actively interact with the industry, active in R&D and interact, um, they have a lot to offer, you know, to assist the industry in terms of being up to date in terms of the te technology techniques that could be applied in solving something commercially. So uh, with that in mind and our interest in computer science, I, I left the academic space uh, to start Valenlytics along with uh, three other founders. So, yeah. That's a gist of what I have been doing. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, based on my previous episode, I also talked to another academician that actually left uh, academics and then, uh, I mean, become an entrepreneur and then start his own AI company. I think there's something that's always interests people. What makes you to actually jump from <laughs> being an academician to become an entrepreneur yourself? 
Yeah, yeah, true, true. Um, but I think a lot of times that's due to a misconception that people think that being an academic in an institute of higher learning is only about teaching. But actually, you know, and as an academic, you are quite holistic. There are many things you need to take care of apart from just teaching. You have to keep up to date. You have to interact with the industry. You're doing R&D. There are a lot of things that actually lend towards, you know, um, uh, being relevant in the industry. But there is this, uh, you know, stigma or what that, you know, people think it's only about teaching. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that that's a misconception. A lot of people yeah. think that uh, when you are an academician, you're just a lecturer. You just teach, teach and teach. So I always tell people that when you are an academician, you're in a university, you are no longer just a normal teacher because we also do research, we also do a lot of collaboration. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that's where we actually hone our skills yeah, to be entrepreneur yeah. because we also become like a project manager. Yeah, correct, correct. Definitely, yes. Okay, so uh, let's talk about your company, Valiolytics. Actually, maybe you can actually just uh, give a brief description about your company. What do you, what the company do actually? Okay. So uh, when we founded uh, Valianlytics, it was with the intention of doing something very applied in data science, right, in the industry. So um, basically, the company has two sides of the business. We are looking at services and we are also looking at uh, solutions as in like data products that we are developing. So when I say data products here, um, what we're doing is not building things like RapidMiner or uh, Tableau and things like that, but rather we, we set out to develop um, solutions that are actually solving a real business problem that we feel spans across, you know, multiple uh, business owners or in that space, right? So we build these solutions to solve a certain business problem. And in that process, as consumers utilize the application, uh, we collect data, we analyze it, and, you know, we sort of become an outsource, uh, you know, uh, data analytics team for these businesses that will use the tool. So, um, with these two uh, sides of the business running, and in terms of how we had set up the company, I'm, I'm the primary founder on the ground. Um, so I'm playing, uh, you know, uh, I, I think I think my, my role has been like, you know, I've been having to wear the entrepreneur hat, you know, leading the organization. So looking beyond just tech technical and also managing the technical aspects. So um, I have had to help mold or shape the roadmap for the products that we build right? Um, and even the services that we want to offer to, to the businesses out there. Um, so, you know, creating that roadmap, looking at what kind of solutions would be relevant, identifying the needs out there, right? Like uh, what people would actually want to uh, receive from us, right? So this involves an understanding of both uh, business, um, you know, aspect of things as well as having some understanding of technical. So I, I always think that that's an advantage, uh, you know, for people of this kind of background when we come into the business space, at least we have the technical know-how, I mean, understanding at the very least, right? And we also have some, and we learn the business understanding so that we can shape these things. So apart from that, I also have to uh, lead the developers and the data scientists. We have uh, an in-house data scientist, but we work a lot with collaborators, you know, people who are experts in the field, right? Um, to contribute to certain aspects because it is my belief also that no one person knows everything, right? End to end. Yeah. So, um, Generally, that's the key things that I handle. But of course, um, you know, being a trainer myself, I do conduct training sometimes. I'm involved in crafting all the proposals, you know, the solutions that we want to offer and things like that. So day to day, my activities will involve uh, a lot of these things, you know, from a business or entrepreneur perspective. Uh, from a technical side, I'm involved in the ideation, you know, and every step of the way until we roll out our solution. Yeah. 
Okay, that's it. Sounds interesting. Um, I mean, uh, so what? What would we? What we? Uh, would, I mean, uh, uh, what is the? What is the skill set that you see that uh, from a perspective of my academician that you have that actually benefit the, you that uh, running at your current company now? I see. Um, I think uh, so. Again, going back to the definition of what as what was an academic, right? What is an academic? So I think there's a couple of things here. I mean, we as an academic, we also help leadership roles. So like you know, if you're talking about uh, my career path, at some point I was a program coordinator, I was a deputy dean, and so on. So that leadership element of being able to see things strategically, you know, to to uh, organize the company, to set some kind of vision for the company, to deal with the people, you know, like when we are interacting with students, it's not very much different from having to interact with you know our colleagues and so on, right? Because we see all sorts, all sorts of people that we need to be able to connect to them in a certain way, right? Uh, each one may be you know, different. So these are some of the things apart from, of course, the R&D, the thinking, the problem solving. Like Actually, I think it's also the PhD training that had contributed towards it, right? Like when we learn how to formulate problems, we learn how to manage that timeline. When there's freedom on your hands, it's quite risky and we know how to manage it, mitigate the risk and, and in the end deliver. So I think these are some of the things that, that is helping. You know, in terms of driving the business, yeah. I, I truly agree. Uh, I think, uh, <laughs> I think doing a PhD itself is actually a very big task, and then we are giving a, a time frame like maybe if you were doing full time, you have like three years to complete your PhD, years, and yeah. then yeah, and during that that time, you actually have a lot of uh, things, uh, a lot of KPI you need to achieve, and then you need to manage the timeline, the deliverables, and manage the expectation of a supervisor, the moderator, <laughs> and then you also have to you know, do documentation, writing journal or conferences, submitting, right, and right. then get the review. I think that's yeah. a that's a skill set that a lot of PhD holder would not uh, understand that uh, actually. These are very beneficial. Yes. One of the key things I would think is communication because as a you know, as you are pursuing that degree, you are you are needing to express, right? Whether in writing or even verbally when you are defending your thesis and so on. And this is key as a data scientist as well, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh Maybe some of the interesting project that uh, Valentics is doing because I see from the website that Valentics is actually doing quite a lot, quite a number of uh, area focus like uh, okay. business process automation, business analytics, and marketing analytics. Oh, okay, let's start yeah. with business process automation. Uh, what, is it all, what is it all about? Okay, so uh, to answer that, we'd have to look at it uh, one step uh, back, right? So uh, when we set out to, to, with the company, we started the company, uh, we, we, we wanted to be just like everybody else focusing on analytics. But along the way, what we realized is many organizations are not ready for analytics. And, and I'm not talking about just the small players. There are also big guys out there who are you know, saying that, oh, we are you know, in digital transformation, we, we are doing this and doing that. But when you drill deep, actually there are a lot of things which are not in place yet. And this has shown us that we actually have to help businesses navigate through their digital journey. So this digital journey starts from digitizing when you know they have everything in manual uh, reports and stuff, you know, handwritten, whatever, it needs to be digitized. Some of them have these things digitally, but they are not uh, collecting this data or processing this in an automated process, digitalization of that process, right? And only if they do all of this, we can avoid that uh, situation where we have rubbish in, rubbish out, right? When we want to do data analytics, we need to have sufficient amount of data, correct data points, then only we can do it. So um, along the way, when we, when we realized this and we started interacting with some companies, you know, on, on this when getting into projects and stuff, um, we, we tapped on the expertise of one of the partners 
who had done a lot of uh, business process automation. So a simple example would be like invoice generation, right? Um, it can be done manually, but there are also tools out there to actually automate this process. Yeah, so uh, that would be the business process automation part of things. Lah. So, and if you look at my background, I come from the tech space, tech analytics, tech mining. So, you know, and, and if you see what's going on now, people have uh, moved from just looking at structured data. They're also tapping into unstructured data for some time now, and it's getting more and more, right? Yeah, and you're talking about conversational AI and things like that, where um, this part has become essential. So that's one of the key offerings as in the, the strength of the company that we are pushing forward as well. Lah. Yeah, so leading to what we are actually doing, we actually already have a marketing platform that's out in the market is slowly picking up um, where this is targeted at brands and retailers. And this has helped us zoom in from the product side of the business into the retail space. So, you know, uh, when we deal with brands and retailers, we are when we pick up all this data, what we're looking at is like um, customer acquisition, you know, the engagement and retention process, the campaigns, their performance of their campaigns, customer preferences, things like that, right? Um, that we are analyzing and channeling back to these uh, businesses. So alongside uh, this, we have other products which are work in progress. We hope to release it in due time, um, which are stemming on the tax uh, part of things, which is uh, an information extraction tool and also a content generator. Uh, but these are yet to be rolled out. Yeah. See. Yeah. Okay, I think uh, there's a quite uh, there's one uh, thing that people always call uh, us about. Okay, we talk about this uh, business process automation. There's yeah. another term called robotic uh, this uh, process automation. Okay. So, so what's RPA. the what's the difference? Yeah, RPA and uh, this. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so what's the difference? One of the tools, right? It's a robotic protect. Uh, RPA is one of the tools. There are many other tools also that can be utilized. So uh, for, for BPA, for us, um, you know, there they are tools that, um, that our partners have. Uh, sometimes they come to us, they already have that tool, like Blue Prism, I think, right? It's one of those that uh, they are utilizing. So it's the same thing. It's robotic process automation is one of the tools, RPA, yeah. Okay. Uh, interesting that now you were talking about uh, marketing analytics. So, uh, I mean, uh, in, in my current uh, job also, I do a lot of marketing analytics. Maybe can you share that uh, what are the marketing analytics that you, you guys are doing? Uh, are you guys developing a bespoke kind of a software uh, a solution or you are actually have a, like off-the-shelf solution that you, you, you want to target for, uh, I mean, more, more, more companies or more, more, more enterprises? Okay, so the, the solution itself is a standalone tool that the brands and retailers would use to run their marketing campaigns. That's the fundamental purpose of the tool. Um, and as we evolve the tool over time, thanks to the pandemic, we had a lot of development time uh, you know, on our hands. Um, it has turned into a marketing platform in which they are able to, you know, a customer community has been created. Um, there is an you know, opportunity for cross-selling among uh, the merchants or brands that are on the platform. There's advertising space that they can utilize and so on. So um, in terms of the data analysis itself, so it had what we have learned over time, right? Like, okay, we set out, we are thinking, oh, you know, we want to do all this prediction and we want to help people know what product to roll out, you know, how to price their products and this and that. And so it is there in our roadmap, like we are working on all these things. However, what we have learned over time interacting with these brands and so on, right? There are some fundamental um, data points that they are already interested in, which falls in the two uh, lesser mature analytics phases, which is the descriptive and diagnostic phases. Right in terms of finding out uh, correlations and patterns, right in in the marketing campaigns, like they 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 want to know things like you know how how their campaign is performing over time, 
why the campaign didn't work, you know, how they could make this work better and things like that. So these are some of the things that uh, we are providing, but uh, in the form of, as we interact with each merchant and brand, there are certain insights that are being provided to them as reports. There are certain in, interact, uh, insights that are being provided in interactive dashboards, depending on which scheme they are, um, you know, the engagement mode with them. Lah. So uh, the most advanced would be where we provide the dashboard and we also provide consulting for them to, you know, better utilize the data. Yeah. So one of the biggest challenges of uh, doing marketing analytics is uh, getting the data. Because uh, if you're talking about traditional marketing campaign, whatever, it's very hard to actually aggregate all the data. So are, are, your, are your data as well mainly on the digital space or are you also talking about normal traditional kind of marketing data? Okay. So yeah, so this is where the, the product itself had set out to actually the target is brands, right? And we are bypassing the retailers here in terms of running their campaigns. So that problem that you mentioned, right, is legit. And that is uh, how brands have, or in the past, or even retailers have uh, managed this lack of data is they have been reliant on data houses, which I shouldn't name, right, I believe. Yep. So a lot of data houses who, who run surveys and yep. uh, produce all these reports and stuff. And feedback from these brands and retailers, are a lot of times these data tend to be massaged, right? A disclaimer, yeah? So this is, um, you know, what we have picked up from yep. the industry. So um, the tool itself is able to pick up uh, interactions that happen in a physical store, as well as in recent times, we are expanding to touch on the social uh, digital channels where the brands are running their campaigns as well. Mm -hmm. The pandemic actually opened up that space, right? Where they are no longer focusing their sales efforts only in in-store, but also on uh, digital channels. So that part, we are growing that at the moment, but it is uh, predominantly in-store that we are picking up. Yeah, so one of my previous episodes, uh, one of my guests is actually, he's, uh, he, he has a tie-in together with Google Analytics because uh, uh, Google, as we all know, the, the two biggest players is the digital yes. advertising is Facebook and Google anyway. So I think, uh, uh, so are you moving to that direction? Are you going to you know, tap into the, what Google Analytics is able to extract the data for you and then, uh, then you can actually provide some sort of analytics from that? Um, well, that is not really in the very near future planning because we are trying to, uh, what's the right word, uh, fully utilize the tool that we have on hand where we are able to drill down to the customer level you know, on their interactions, exactly what they buy and how they buy and, you know, what promotions work and things like that, which is not necessarily uh, picked up. I mean, of course, uh, Facebook ads, Google ads have this, there are advertisements, but, and it, it's measuring what the people are clicking on, you know, and, and, you know, if you are a business yourself, when you run the ads, you will know whether it turns into an actual conversion, you know, it's an actual conversion or not, or it's just a lead and things like that. But here we are talking about an actual conversion that has transpired and we are picking up the behavior from this tool, with this tool. So, uh, of course, holistically, someday, you know, if we are able to tap into that space as well, it would be nice to merge. But right now, that's not uh, in our, uh, you know, immediate planning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, let's move on to some of the... <laughs> so, this is a common question usually I'll ask my guests. Uh, what are the okay. current progress of uh, data science or AI or machine learning technologies that you are quite excited about um, or you are looking forward to? Okay, so um, given uh, my area of expertise or space that I've been having most interest in, in the space of text, right? So I'm actually most excited about that. 
because I feel that, and, and given that we are in that retail space, right, and picking up what people are thinking and saying. So I'm looking at all these uh, deep learning advancements and all that, right, that is helping us understand human interactions a lot better without having to, you know, actually sit down there and analyze. Of course, we are still far. I, I see from whatever I've seen so far, there's still a lot, uh, you know, of gap because whatever it is, the, the human perception is very difficult to capture in, in very precise, uh, you know, sense, right? Uh, but I, I'm excited particularly on this part because um, I feel that if we are able to tap into what people are saying, consumers are saying, you know, a lot of problems can be solved, not just in the retail space, you're talking about political space, social space, right, that can be picked up, prevented, you know, yeah, so this is particularly what I'm... So I think about. one of the things that you are quite interested in is all those like GPT-3, where all these, uh, uh, especially in terms of uh, this uh, uh, generation of uh, tax or whatever, I think that's something yeah, quite, quite interesting. Right. Yeah, so that's one of the things we are working on, right? The content uh, generator mm. uh, that is stepping into the problem space of where, you know, everyone needs to update something. They need to, you know, be active on social channels. So how do we make this process simpler or easier for all these people who need to, you know, keep uh, up to date on that and to keep being in touch with their clients and everything in the social spaces, yeah. But, but just now, as, as you mentioned, that uh, most of these uh, solutions out there, they're still, I mean, they're still quite lacking of understanding of human behavior or, or sarcasm. Sarcasm, yeah, emotions. <laughs> yeah, emotions. Yeah. And then how, how do you think, how do you, what, what do you think that, uh, for example, in Malaysia, we have our own kind of, uh, uh, we have Manglish, <laughs> we have our, our, own, uh, our own humor, our own uh, political uh, uh, humor, whatever. How do you yeah. think that all these solutions uh, we need to adopt to, to, to the local situation? Yeah. So I think it's a bottom-up approach. It, it needs to be localized first so that, you know, you, you, you attack this problem in a more, uh, you know, a confined space, right? So, in, in, I mean, generally, most of the solutions are like English as a high level or a certain language as a high level. But you need to consider local context. So I think localization has to happen. And certainly, it's a very challenging space because, as you said, the way I use sarcasm may be different from how you use sarcasm and so on. So um, I think, uh, you know, in all these solutions, when we are trying to say it works for, a, you know, a English language, we, we need to take it a step further to say it works in this local context first. Let's build that that local um, perfection. And then over time, you know, it can be something globally utilized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, one of the one of the key uh, uh, importance of uh, developing AI or machine learning solution is diversity. So I think I, I want to brought up this topic because uh, I, as we are approaching March 8, which is the International Women's Day, uh, we see that a lot of disparity of gender in, in, in this, uh, especially this STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and maps field. Uh, but uh, I, I was reading an article in uh, Malaysia. Surprisingly, I, I was also very surprised that uh, in, the, in the normal uh, US, whatever, um, the, the involvement of uh, uh, the female in this space is actually around 18 to 20%. But in Malaysia, I, was, uh, I, was, uh, I actually found that we actually we achieved 57% of a STEM degree holder in Malaysia is actually female. I was actually surprised on that yeah, also. Yeah, I was surprised <laughs> to hear that as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but uh, I would say, but uh, as a data scientist, I mean, have uh, I've been working in this field for quite some time. It's actually quite hard to actually find uh, female data scientists or female uh, machine learning engineer or female yeah. AI engineer. So why why do you think is that? Mm. I mean, from, I, from your perspective of a female. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So actually, I mean, uh, I think it also depends on which generation we are talking about and so on, right? So like maybe from like in my generation, 
um, even though I'm not that old, but I think we were we were raised by people who are much older, and and there was always this uh, uh, how how do I say uh, uh, well a perception or a or a path that was carved for women. They tend to think that you should be in professions that allow you to spend more time at home with the family rather than in the office or very career oriented. And like it or not, STEM, uh, you know, uh, careers that, that are around STEM, right, um, tend to be demanding in terms of time, right? So, um, you know, I guess for that earlier generation, you know, uh, it had been that that had molded some of the thinking in terms of getting them into that space and so on. And maybe, you know, if it's an individual was making that decision, also recognizing that it's a male-dominated space could have been intimidating. But... Um, you know, as the statistics is showing, and even in our classrooms before, you know, when we see more and more females coming in, I think it's because the mindset of the parents, right, has also changed, and where they are starting to see that women can be equal contributors, and the world is seeing that as well, right, that uh, both are career-oriented and so on. Um, you see more and more women uh, taking that challenge and trying to uh, get into this space. Um, it's true what you said, even in my interactions, uh, you know, in the past years, especially in analytics, I, I, I would think that I could count with my hands, like, you know, in my 10 fingers, how many female um, data scientists I may have met. Um, and I think it, it, is, it is, I mean, like it or not, there is some uh, impact, right? The social impact where, you know, when you're working long hours and so on. But I think these days, the, the female mindset has changed and people are getting more interested in these kind of very technical things, right? Uh, I see a lot of uh, young female, um, you know, students before who, who are just as excited as a guy, you know, in terms of doing their programming and so on. So I, I do see this as a growing space and uh, women, you know, have an opportunity to excel in it as well. Do, 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 yeah. is, do your company face this also? Do you have a gender balance in your company? No, we don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, <don't> we? <laughs> um, okay. Well, my first, my first uh, developer that I hired is a lady. Is mm -hmm. uh, you know. So, um, but yes, the team is heavily male. Mm -hmm. uh, not that I chose not to hire these females, but uh, maybe those who have come our way, uh, other than the first, uh, you know, I'm talking about developers and data science uh, people, right? Mm -hmm. um, it has not been uh, that strong. Yeah, mm -hmm. so maybe maybe Valenlytics hasn't been lucky enough to see you know those who are a little bit stronger, right? Yeah. So you are saying that uh, when you when you have like a, a vacancy available, and then uh, when you when you open up uh, for 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 people to send in their resume, the the amount of uh, people who actually uh, apply for for that position, you also don't see a lot of female applying for it. Yeah, right? I don't actually. I yeah, see. so I mean, it is fifty five percent. Um, if you say that they are in the courses, I, I think what we need to look at the next step is what is the career path they take after finishing the course? So mm -hmm. maybe there is a different statistics at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. people who study might not, uh, might, uh, graduated might not actually take else. up, do something, do something yeah. else. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, let's talk about, uh, since we talk about career what, what do you look for when you want to hire uh, someone in your company, for, especially for this all the technical position, uh, like yeah. developer or, or data scientist or machine learning engineer, whatever? Okay. So if you had asked me this question when I first started the company, right, uh, my answer would have been very heavy towards, yeah, I need someone technically strong, you know, who knows all the skill techniques and, and uh, you know, algorithms and everything. But today, over time, what I have realized is 
yes, I would need someone who is technically uh, competent, I would say. I, I don't want to use the word strong. Technically competent in the sense that they have a good grasp of the fundamentals in this space, right? And they have a strong willingness to pick up something new and uh, have shown some ability to pick it up fast in the past. And a crucial part that we look at now, particularly, you know, as we uh, look into interviewing and hiring, is whether or not this person is too um, technically focused. Uh, maybe this works for larger organizations, you know, where they have the luxury of having a business analyst and, you know, a data scientists and data engineers who specifically focus on very, you know, a small problem space maybe, right? But in a smaller setup like ourselves, uh, what we need is someone who has a little bit of, um, uh, you know, business understanding. I mean, I, I don't mean they have to come with that business understanding, but they must be open to, to un and they must recognize the fact that a data scientist cannot be effective if they do not understand the business space to a certain extent. And, and, and if they are not open to listening to input from the business side, right, uh, then it's going to be very difficult because then they would be only talking about their machine learning algorithms and, you know, uh, whatever techniques that they want to apply, but not thinking about what the business actually needs. Yeah, so this is something that we try to assess, you know, the in terms of that thinking. Because, uh, I mean, a lot of times when we talk about developers or technical people, we say, oh, these are geeks, you know, they are just drowning in code. So if you want to succeed as a data scientist, I don't think you can be drowning in code only. You have to have an open mind. You have to be able to solve problems, look at the business needs. And, you know, then only you can decide what are the data points that are relevant. Yes, there will be domain experts to help you, but you are the one drilling deep into the data. There'll be a lot of key insights that will be missed if you are not thinking along those lines and just looking at technical, um, you know, grid, right? When you are looking at the data. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, how about attitude-wise? <laughs> Ah, okay. <laughs> this one, right? I think it's a, I, my comment would be not just for data scientists, but across the board, right? Like in anyone who is getting into a job or anything. Um, one of the key things that um, we look for at least is for people who have a strong uh, sense of team. Yeah, because um, if you do not have that sense, then you'd be very isolated. You just want to produce your work. I, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to, you know, uh, contribute in other ways or anything. I just want to focus on this. I deliver this and that's it. My job is done. It works sometimes, like, you know, like we, we want, you, you want people who are very focused and so on. But I guess it depends. I, I, think, I think it applies to bigger organizations and smaller as well, where you need people who are, uh, you know, willing to work together. So that is one um, thing that we, you know, definitely look for. And in terms of the attitude of always wanting to improve is something we look for as well. Because there are people who get complacent. They secure a job and then they feel that, oh, I'm, I'm an expert, especially if they are maybe not uh, challenged daily on the job because maybe they're not interacting directly with people who are equally or even better than them, right? Then, you know, they, they tend to be like, okay, we'll just do what I know, but I'm not willing to explore anything new, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that, 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 that's the saying. If a person has a, has a low skill set, but he has the right attitude, then yeah. it's fine because I can send the person for training to training, improve his yeah. skill set. But if the person has a bad attitude, we're going to do anything. It's yeah, very hard to right. change a person's attitude. So yeah, I think you can't, you can't. Yeah, it has to come from within. I mean, no matter what, in a work setting, even more, right? It's like people don't have the time to be 
I mean, you, you, there's counseling processes and whatever do, not on the job, but there's only so much that an employer can do. Yeah. So, but I, I mean, think this needs to be inculcated, uh, you know, in school, in university. I mean, coming from where we come from, right? Looking back, I also feel that in our classrooms, we need to, um, you know, inculcate that thinking, you know, when they are in university, that it's, it's not just an academic pursuit. You have to understand, you have to be able to interact and so on, you know, and yeah. Yeah, coming back to that, just now you were saying that uh, uh, most of they are looking for people who at least have some business acumen. Mm. Yeah, but then, I mean, we are academicians. Do you think that, uh, especially all those people who are graduating from uh, data science uh, specialization course, do you think that the university are preparing them with the right uh, business knowledge that they are required to, to be successful in outside in the, in the real world? Um, at least from whom, whoever we have seen, right? Um, pretty much the focus has always been to roll out technically savvy or technically competent people. But I guess we also have to acknowledge the fact what a university is for, right? The university is supposed to provide this knowledge, technical knowledge to these students. So that's why when they pick up programming, they can pick up any language later and things like that. So I actually disagree a little bit when people say that um, the universities are not producing people who are ready for the industry. I, I think we need to be a little bit fair there. What is the function? I cannot be teaching them tools in the university, right? I need to teach them the concepts and the knowledge, and then they can pick up the tool when they go out. But a lot of industry players, even in my time as an academic, and now what I see is they expect the students to come with all this tool understanding a lot of times. Yeah. So um, if you ask uh, whether, uh, you know, all of them don't have this, I think all the universities do have like, you know, professional development courses and so on. But I think for data science, particularly when the courses are taught, um, they need to be taught in a way that is not just talking about the technicalities, but on how it's being applied in the industry. Yeah, and how your thought process that problem solving, you know, the, uh, formulating that use case, how do you determine what the, you know, the data points should be? How do you apply the machine learning techniques to it to, to really show insights that are useful? I think it needs to be delivered in that way. Yeah. yeah. So I think the application side during the teaching is very important. <laughs> A lot of students ask them, they complain, why do I need to learn calculus? But then when they yeah. want to do AI, they realize that calculus <laughs> is so important. Yeah, 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 correct. So that's why, I mean, it's hard to understand that when you are pursuing the degree because you haven't seen the other side. So yeah. it is important that maybe what the industry and the academic world can do is to have more interactions so that, um, you know, some of these things can be brought to the students. You know, I think a lot of universities are already doing it. Even back in our time, you know, you're already bringing industry players and so on. But I think it needs to go down to the academics level as well where they need to get this exposure so that they can convey this to their students more effectively as well. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think I have some uh, <laughs> questions like, what's the tips and advice to, to be like a successful entrepreneur from your perspective? I think you have gained some like, years of experience already. Maybe <laughs> from your perspective, uh, what do you think that you can actually tell I'm to, a, to I'm my audience? I'm a work in progress. Like, I'm a work in progress. <laughs> work in progress is still better than that uh, work in failure. Okay. So what would be your tips? But, but actually, uh, what I have learned is that even a failure is a teaching you know, moment. You shouldn't be afraid to fail. It's something that I'm learning, still learning, because it's hard. I mean, we are people who are used to wanting to pursue something and achieve it. You know, we, you know, if you talk about academically inclined, right? Yeah. So the business space is a little bit different, right? You have you have a lot of things to learn, and if you want to be, if you are a technical person, 
trying to become a you know a business person or an entrepreneur and you don't have that naturally maybe you were not already doing because i met some kids these days who you know even in school they are already doing little businesses online and stuff like that but we probably didn't come from that kind of uh, you know so if you if you have not had that kind of exposure and you're thinking oh i want to start a business i say i'm so good at what i do right um you have to take a step back and 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 see things in a proper perspective which is it's damn good, very good that you are good uh, technically, but there's a lot of business uh, understanding that you need to pick up. So, and I and I hear this from fellow, you know, friends who who are also from different technical, like you know, someone who was a national swimmer turned business owner, right? Um, the, the same comment where when you set out, pick up the necessary business skills, whether it's through a mentor, lots of readings, courses, and things like that. Be be ready for that because you have got to. Uh, look at the business angle with the which with as much rigor as you do your technical bits, and if let and it depends on the founders like you have in place, right? If you have people taking care of different aspects and you have the luxury of focusing on technical, great. But if not, you need to have that mind that yeah, I'm gonna have to let you know let the technical bit uh, slow a little bit so that I can pick this up first and then come back to being you know technically strong. That's my key thing lah. Um, and as an entrepreneur communication is key lah. so if you're technical and you are a data scientist make sure you practice practice communicating you know the visualization once we visualize we still need to communicate the insights similarly as an entrepreneur you need to be able to communicate yeah yeah, yeah. so i so that, that that's that's the main main thing that uh, most of entrepreneur people like they like to think that uh, starting up a company is easy but to be a, uh, to, to actually start up a company you actually have to have a lot of uh, not just focusing on technical uh, side of the thing, you also, because you are going to run a business, you have to know yeah. the business and how to manage your business. And most importantly, how to grow the business. Correct, correct, correct. Starting the business is one thing. <laughs> Keeping it going and getting it somewhere is a whole other thing, yeah. Okay, uh, maybe maybe in the next, uh, maybe another last question is, uh, how, how does the COVID-19 impact on your business? And then how do you navigate through this uh, pandemic or now we are maybe approaching pandemic? Uh, yeah, so um, definitely we were affected. Um, we were still, you know, I think just barely a year old and um, just starting to figure things out, starting to develop certain things and all that. And right at the point that we thought that, you know, our MVP, you know, we were ready to like uh, roll it out a little bit more aggressively, the, the lockdown happened. So what that uh, did was it actually put us back into, uh, you know, development mode for quite some time. Um, because businesses were in a, you know, um, how to say, panic mode, lah, in a sense, right? Uh, they were reacting, they were, they were not knowing, you know, how, how things are going to pan out. They were not willing to listen so much for ideas that are uh, not directly going to help them survive at that point. So definitely there was that kind of an impact. But now that uh, the businesses are opening up, you know, the industry is opening up, the economy is opening up, uh, we see a lot more interest and, and it, it also helped in a way because due to the pandemic, people are more open to digital, um, you know, solutions. Before there were, you know, before the pandemic, when we talked to people, some were like, ah, you know, I've been doing it this way for a long time. Then even having these Zoom calls, we're saving a lot of time actually, not having to commute, you know, for every meeting and all that. Yeah, so it has helped in that sense as well. So things are picking up now. We are we are optimistic. We hope that you know um, things will materialize uh, a lot faster as we move on. Yeah. 
Great. I think uh, we have discussed quite a number and then there are a lot of advisors given out. Uh, so I think we have uh, reached our end of the show. So thank you very much for sharing your, all your knowledge and uh, advices to us. Uh, maybe uh, we can actually have another podcast, uh, maybe figure down the line and see where have you progressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for having me. Okay. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Uh, be a guest. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify Podcasts. If you have any comments or recommendations, I will be glad to receive your voice messages. Send me your voice messages via the link in the show notes. To catch all latest episodes, you can follow this show on our website, www.aimldatatalks.com or our social media such as Instagram or Twitter with the handler at AIMLDatatalks. Thanks again. I will see you next time.